The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night, the 25th day of September 2022. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is across the way. I'm very happy to welcome you aboard tonight. So glad you could be with us. We've got uh, some great people on the show tonight. Up first, we'll speak to author Kevin Keating. His book is titled Waiting for a Sign. That's volume two. Highlights and inside stories from a lifetime of collecting baseball autographs. As a fellow collector, this really piqued my interest, so we'll have a nice conversation with Kevin. Next up, we'll speak with author Gary Kaschek about his latest book he's co-authored with Tom Tunnison titled Go the Distance, the inspirational story of Tom Tunnison, Thurman Munson, and a lifelong quest for baseball immortality. Finally, we welcome in the son of Hall of Famer Orlando Cepeda, Ali Cepeda, and we'll talk about what's upcoming in the world of Cepeda baseball. So sit back, relax, get comfy, enjoy this edition of Sports Talk New York tonight. Some great people, some great talk up ahead. Social media, we're out there. You can find us, I dare you. Go ahead. We're on Facebook. Stop by, give us a look. You can give us a like. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. And you can follow me on Twitter if you so desire at B. Donahue WGBB. All past shows are cataloged on the website. So if you miss one, don't worry. They're out there at am1240wgbb.com. Well, our first guest, he graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York in 1982 and the John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies in Washington in 2002. Upon completion of Airborne and Ranger schools, he served in the Army as an infantry, infantry officer and attained the rank of captain. He is a lifeline, lifetime autograph collector, now the principal autograph authenticator for professional sports authenticators, PSA for you collectors, and a subsidiary of Collectors Universe. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show tonight, Kevin Keating. Kevin, good evening. Hey, Bill. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. No worries. Glad to have you aboard, Kevin. Now, I just want to tell you, first off, there was a show promoter in the Central Florida area by the name of Tom Bunovich. And uh, he was a friend of mine. He'd written two books about collecting and the hobby uh, titled Sign This. And he did parts one and part two. I was fortunate enough to have contributed to the second volume about my experiences in collecting. And uh, I want to let you know, folks, in this book of Kevin's, which is titled Waiting for a Sign, of course, uh, he ends volume two with chasing Aaron Judge, so it turns out to be very timely. We won't give away the story and let you know what happens. Save that story for the book. But th- th- there is a market for autograph collecting experiences, Kevin. Uh, there, there have been books about correspondences with athletes. What made you want to document your collecting? Well, believe it or not, I wrote the first chapter 
that I put pen to paper in 1988, and that was the George Sisler chapter, mm-hmm. which ends up in Volume 2 um, as the second chapter of Volume 2. So by, by the 1980s, um, my friends and my father in particular kept encouraging me to write some of the stories and put them down of my experiences because when you, when you collect autographs and you meet players, every experience you have is unique to yourself, right? And of right. Course, yeah, if you do it as I have, um, you know, from the time that I was 10, I've been collecting baseball autographs in particular. And when you do, do it the way that I did, you wind up having a whole lot of different encounters. And some of them for me, of course, turned into friendships and became, you know, lifetime, you know, events for me. And certainly, um, you know, I started writing the chapters back, way back when, and then I just write one whenever, you know, I, I felt like I had something significant to put down. Mm-hmm. And over time, you know, as I look back, as I step back, and I really had about 40 chapters done, um, I got a book agent, and he said, we need to do two books. We need to do a volume one and a volume two, because you have so much here, and it all needs to be told. I don't want to cut anything out of this. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I wound up with two volumes. But, um, you know, I didn't set out to write, you know, two two volumes of the of this particular book, it just kind of wound up that way. Right, and as it says in the book, uh, Kevin, I believe it's said by Bob Costas, it, it's not just the the treasures of the autograph that that uh, you you document. It's the thrill of the hunt, and it's it's the stories that you can tell to people. I know I have some great stories, the stories you can tell people about your collecting, right? Yeah, and I like to say that, um, you know, the books really are, when I look back on all the chapters together, I realize in many ways it's kind of a mosaic of my life because I've done a lot of different things um, throughout my life, but autograph collecting has kind of been, you know, woven through my entire life. And, you know, Bob Costas, I was informed that Bob had read Volume 1 and really enjoyed it. And um, and so I contacted him, and I asked him if he'd do a blurb for Volume 2, you know, to put on the cover. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I'm thrilled you asked me, thank you. And he wrote, Kevin Keating has taken what is a hobby for many and turned it into an art form. It's not just the signatures, the keepsakes, it's the stories. And, right. and it's really true. When autograph collectors get together, and I'm sure you know this, Bill, because you're a collector yourself, you swap stories, right? You talk about when you met this guy. And, sure. You know, yeah. Time that I met, Thur- I met Thurman Munson. You know, I shook his hand. What was it like? What was he like? You know, and you swap stories, and really the stories are really bring life to the autographs, and vice versa. And I think that um, I mean I try to each each chapter that I write is a tribute to that particular player, how they impacted my life in a certain way, what happened that was particularly you know noteworthy and worth retelling. And I try to really make a tribute to each player, and I like to say that the books um, tell the story behind the autograph and reveal the person inside the player. Mm-hmm. Give us uh, a, sort, a short synopsis, Kevin, of one of your favorite experiences. Oh, gosh. Um, well, you know, people ask me, what's your favorite autograph? You've got a big collection. What's your favorite? And I say, well, that's easy. It's, it's the last autograph that Warren Spahn ever signed in his life, and Warren was like a second father to me. He's winning his left-handed pitcher of all time. People know that. What a lot of people don't realize about Warren is he's the winningest major league pitcher since 1930. Think about that. Lefty or righty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Spotty and I were really close, and I saw him five different times 
during the last year of his life. And, and uh, the last time was particularly memorable, of course. I was supposed to see him in December and fly out and stay with him at his house. And he called me up in early November. He said, hey, um, when are you coming out again? I said, I'm coming out in December. Why? He said, can you make it any sooner? And I said, sure. What's, what's the deal? And he said, well, I'm not sure I'll be here in December. And so he knew he was failing, and I didn't know he was, you know, that close to the end, but, but obviously he did. So I got out there. I spent a couple of nights with him, and on the second night, he didn't want to go to sleep. And we ended up staying up until 5 in the morning just talking baseball and, and, and you know, the things we normally talked about. But around 10 o'clock, I said to him, I said, Spani, I said, what's your autograph look like? He was always proud that he could sign his name and make money at it, you know, toward the back end of his life. Yeah. And he scribbled one out, and he said, um, he said, here, what do you think? And I said, oh, that looks pretty good. And I said, can I keep that? He goes, yeah, keep it with all the other freebies I've given you over the years. And it turned out to be his last autograph. And so for me, um, you know, the, I left the next day. Um, his day nurse took a picture of us, and um, that turned out to be the last photo of him as well. So that picture... And that autograph are the most meaningful autographs that I have, if that makes sense. That's a wonderful story, Kevin. We're speaking with author Kevin Keating tonight on the program. How about your most unusual experience? I mean, we've all done weird things to get autographs. We've done it in weird places. How about with you, Kevin? Um, one comes to mind. It's the one that got away. You know, weird experience <laughs> yeah. was, it was 1975, I believe, Um it was either 74 or 75, but I think it was 75. Mike Marshall was a notorious non-signer. I'm talking about the relief pitcher for the Dodgers. Oh, yeah, right. Holds, yeah, yeah. he still holds a record for the most games ever pitched in a, in a season. I think it was 106. Unbelievable relief pitcher, really set the mark. I, I, my personal opinion is he should be in the Hall of Fame. In any event, he was the main get that day. I really wanted his autograph. I knew he was tough. Um, I didn't have his autograph, so that was my main target when I was standing in front of the hotel in Chicago getting the Dodgers as they came in and out before they left for the ballpark that day. So Marshall comes out, and I go up to him, and I plead, plead with him for his autograph, and he stood there, and for about 10 minutes, he, he lectured me about how my priorities in life were backwards, that <laughs> I should be asking, I should be asking my teachers for their autographs because they're going to be instructing me on how to, you know, how to learn and how to improve myself. And for me to be idolizing baseball players was just the wrong thing to do. And I stood there and I listened to all that, you know, and I, I did what I could to kind of push back here and there to, to, to try to give him a reason why he should sign for me. And he steadfastly refused. <laughs> when he was done with, with the lecture, I said, well, if you're not going to sign for me, could I shake your hand? And he kind of looked at me dumbfounded like, well, I don't have anything against that. So he held out his hand. He said, sure. And I shook his hand and walked him to the cab, and he took off, and I never got him. Man, yeah. Well, that leads me to to my next question, Kevin. And uh, we've all been there, the ne the negative experience of getting turned down. I mean, it, it can be demoralizing. It can, you know. And I, I try to point out in, in a couple of different ways throughout both of the books that, if you have a negative experience with an athlete, don't hold it against them. I mean, I'm not saying that, that athletes should, you know, do things that, that some of the things that I know have been done in response to autograph seekers. I mean, you know, the, they shouldn't do certain things and respond the way that they do. But on the other hand, 
you got to remember, when you're meeting somebody, you're asking them to do you a favor. Mm-hmm. You're nothing but another stranger to them, maybe the hundredth person that day that are interrupting their life. And so, you know, athletes are, they're people too. And I write about Rod Carew in Volume 1, and I talk about the first time I met him when I was 11 years old, and I went up to him and he said, son, why don't you take a long walk off a short pier? Cool. And I didn't even know yeah. what that meant. <laughs> You know, I mean, I yeah. didn't know what that meant. And my father was standing almost within earshot. And when, and I continued to walk with Mr. Crew about 50 feet to the cab, and I opened the door for him with some luck at the ball game. He never said a word to me after that. Um, and I said goodbye to him. My dad asked me what had happened. I told him. My dad then wrote a letter to the Minnesota Twins saying that Rod Crew had mistreated his son, blah, blah, blah. And the twins sent an apology letter, which I still have. In fact, I reprint that in Volume 1. But um, I met Carew a few years later, and I'm telling you, he could not have been nicer. He spent a half an hour with me. He he offered me tickets to the ballpark. He signed everything I had. I think it was 18 items. He um, gave me batting tips. And, and I've met him maybe a couple dozen times since then, and he's always been a prince of a man. And my point is that, even when you have a bad experience with somebody, like I did with Crew the first time, doesn't mean that they're a bad person. They just had a bad day, perhaps, you know. And in the case with Carew, I got to meet him enough times afterwards to realize what a great guy he really is. So um, I just would like to remind people of that. It's interesting you bring up Rod Carew, uh, Kevin, because I have a story for you. Uh, we were in Cooperstown this summer having dinner in Nicoletta's on Main Street. In walks Rod Carew and his family. And he said, you know, we, oh, there's Rod Carew, you know. So I always carry a ball with me just in case in Cooperstown, wherever I am. Right, right. You of know, course. and and so yeah. he's eating his dinner. He finishes his dinner. People are going up to the table. And uh, I've had him on the program, and I, I dealt with, with Rod through his son, Devin. And Devin was there as well, so I figured, let me go introduce myself. Brought the ball with me, and I guess I waited a bit too long, because as I was talking to him, one of the goons from the Otisaga, or from somewhere, comes in and says, uh, it's time to go, come on. And he's, he's, he was very, very rude. He, he actually threatened me with physical violence, and uh, I told him, hang on, you know, I was... Put, keeping him at bay. I mean, th- th- that's when Rod Carew's wife got got up and said, "It's been very nice to meet you. Thank, thank you." You know, and uh, the goon finally settled down and and called me by my name and said, "Everything's good." And uh, Rod did sign for me. Of course, his autograph is not the same now as it was back in the day. But uh, Correct, yeah. he he was very nice. But you have to deal with these handlers as well, which is very difficult. Yeah, yeah, and as you said uh, in your opening, you know, I do I do end volume two with uh, the Chasing Aaron Judge epilogue. Right. And I kind of expose all that, right? Like, look, if you've been with me for all these other stories and you're reading this epilogue now, then you realize, you know, Kevin Keating, when he started 50 years ago, you know, that was a different day and time. Now you have a whole different scenario going on with these players. But the players... They have no privacy anymore, Bill. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're hounded 24 hours a day, and they don't know, even when they're signing for a kid, they don't know for sure if that kid has been paid by somebody 
to procure the autographs so it can go on eBay and be sold right away, right? So mm-hmm. the players don't know who's capitalizing and who's really the collector. And so it's it's really a it's a difficult dilemma and I'm not discouraging players from signing, but I do understand that, you know, they need to be protected to some extent because when I was a kid and I'd hand a guy ten baseball cards, they'd sign them and half of them would say, What do you do with these things, kid? You know, they didn't understand it. <laughs> yeah, and right. Now it, yeah, and now every time a guy signs, it's like money coming out of their hands, you know? I mean right. Tom Brady can sit there and sign footballs all day long and Every time he writes those eight letters on a football, it's $1,500, $1,500, yeah. $1,500. That's true. You're exactly right. Yeah. Now, I, I have to ask you, because I know it bugs me, and it it's really curtailed my, my interest in the hobby lately, is how do you feel about the lack of, of cursive skills in today's athlete? Not not, oh, the, not Dominic DiMaggio, not, not Ted Williams. The, these guys that you get today, and if they didn't put their number down on it, Kevin, you wouldn't know who the heck it was. <laughs> oh, you're so right, Bill. And we run into that. You know, we get we get these balls with all this slop on it, right? Um, here at PSA, and, and people want us to authenticate and identify the autographs. And you're right. You know, in, in several cases, if the, if the number wasn't there, I mean, there's no way to tell. And the sad thing about it is, and what these players don't realize is if they're going to write the name, I and mean, that's their brand. Their mm-hmm. brand is their name, and their autograph represents that. And if they can't write their name or they refuse to write their name in a way that's legible, maybe the, the first person that gets it might realize I'm getting Joe Schmo. But 10 years from now, when that ball changes hands, nobody's going to know who it was, you know? Yeah. And the ball's going to become worthless, and what's the point of even signing the name if it can't be passed down through the ages in a way that will identify who the signers were. And it's very frustrating. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and, and in Cooperstown, which is really the only place I, I really collect anymore uh, as I've gotten older, is uh, as I say to my wife, I'd hate to waste a, a $25 baseball on on the garbage that I'm going to get from uh, a hurried signature. I mean, do I really yep. want to do that? And, and I answer no in most cases. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And yet, there's still guys like Pedro Martinez, uh, Mariano Rivera, who have absolutely beautiful autographs. Exactly. They don't even have short names. Right. But you can read every letter in their names and every autograph. You know, they're done beautifully. And, of course, you know, we were probably, uh, I speak for you now, correct me if I'm wrong, but we were brought up at a time when, you know, you get Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams, you know, Joe DiMaggio, and again, you could read every letter in every autograph, right? There's no doubt, exactly. Yep, you're right, Kevin. Yeah, look, look, if Mickey Mantle can sign his name so that you can read every letter in the name, then I think the current player should be able to do it, too. And he always said, uh, Kevin, that uh, he he believed the people are paying for his autograph, they ought to get a good one. And I, I've heard stories where he... Uh, sent the kid or sent the collector back for another ball to for the promoter he said i didn't like that one i'm going to sign yep. another one for you and and th- that yep. is unbelievable <laughs> yep you're absolutely right yeah those guys took pride in what they did and like i said i think it's a lack of pride and a real is a lack of realization that you know when you're signing that name that's your brand you know be proud of your brand be proud of who you are so 
Exactly. You're right. Well, Kevin Keating, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show tonight. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us out here on Long Island. The book again, folks, it's called, it's volume two. Wouldn't hurt you to get volume one either. Waiting for a sign, highlights and inside stories from a lifetime of collecting baseball autographs. And that's Kevin Keating is the author. I advise you to check that out, especially if you're a collector like we are. Kevin, thank you very much. Hey, Bill, thanks. And you can get the book at waitingforassignedbook.com, waitingforassignedbook.com. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. It's been a lot of fun. All the best, Kevin. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we'll welcome in another author, Gary Kaschek. Why don't you stick around, folks? Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBB Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back with Sports Talk New York here on WGBB in Merrick, Long Island, New York. I hope everyone is having a wonderful weekend. For those who may be looking for something to do this week, the carnival is at the Belmore train station on Sunrise Highway. They had all they could do to get me out of here so I could get to the station on time. Brian, I was on the Tilt-A-Whirl. I was on the carnival. I was shooting the water guns in the clown's mouth to fill up the balloon. They could not get me away from the cotton candy. I'm a mess, folks. But let's get to our next guest. He has served as a sports writer and a columnist for the Vestal News, where Vestal is upstate New York near Binghamton, Green Bay Press, the Burlington County Times, and he was sports editor for the Montrose Independent. He was statistician for the 1981 Washington Federals, which was a team in the USFL, folks, if you don't remember that. He has served as a sports reporter for WKOP Radio. That's out of Binghamton as well. He's covered Major League Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, and he's been the lead writer for two baseball committees as well as editor for the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame. And we're going to hear from one of the inductees uh, of the New York Baseball Hall of Fame coming up in a few weeks. Last month, we spoke to Cleon Jones about the book he wrote with Gary called Coming Home, My Amazing Life as a New York Met. It's great to welcome to the show tonight, Gary Kaschek. Gary, good evening. Well, Bill, that's uh, quite an introduction. I appreciate that. And uh, it's a, pl- a privilege being on your show with you. Thank you. It's great to have you. Now, the the uh, the new book, tell us about that. Is, and I wanted to ask you, is it a true story? Give us a little background. Set the stage for us, Gary. Well, Go the Distance is absolutely a true story. Um, it's a story uh, about my friend Tom Tunison, um, who was influenced as a young boy by Thurman Munson. Mm-hmm. Um, so those of you who are uh, want to buy this book and believe you're going to read about Thurman Munson, 
you're going to read about Thurman Munson from a different perspective. Um, okay. This young man, Tom Tunison, is a boy uh, living right there in Belmore, by the way. Uh, there we go. The train station there. <laughs> um, playing baseball and with his buddies all day long. Uh, suddenly had uh, something happen with his hip. Uh, had a rare uh, hip disease called Perth's, and it uh, put him on the sidelines for three years. Um, bedridden for one year. Uh in a wheelchair for the next year and on crutches for the third year. And during that time, is uh, it just so happens that Thurman Munson joined the Yankees and Tom Tunison uh, tuned into WPIX and was just, uh, that was his man. Thurman Munson fell in love with him right then and there. The great broadcasting crew, of course, uh, those in my age group will remember that. Uh, Phil Rizzuto. Uh, Frank Messer, Bill White, probably in that era with Thurman Munson, uh, a little after the uh, Jerry Coleman uh, period with the Yankees. Now, I see that the book has received some great reviews, Gary, from many people, including Diana Munson, who is the widow of Thurman. Very high praise. Well, uh, we had the privilege of being with Diana Munson uh, about four or five weeks ago in Canton. Wow, um, okay. Where we went to lunch with uh, her and a few other local uh, baseball contacts that we had made and her son, Michael, who has a, a restaurant there called Tugboats. And um, that lunch that uh, normally would take, what, an hour, an hour and a half, was almost five hours. Wow. Uh, just <laughs> telling baseball stories one after the other, uh, talking about the book, um, and Tom, by the way, presented Diana with a, uh, a beautiful wooden, uh, a poem that he had written about Thurman, uh, that he had etched, uh, had etched on a wooden uh, plaque. And so it was really such a, a fun day. Um, you know, we got to visit the Thurman Munson grave site, which was just the most serene place you could have imagined. Um, it was really wonderful, and to be with her and to have her come out and share with us the way she did, uh, such a memorable day for all of us. What a great story. Now, uh, does the book touch at all, Gary, on uh, Thurman Munson going to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown? Well, that's the premise of the uh, of the title, Go the Distance. Okay. Um, so Go the Distance, uh, at first, we had, as we had uh, discovered that wow he's got Tom's got a, quite a story to tell here go the distance meant yes we're going to do whatever we can to get Thurman Munson into the Hall of Fame and uh, Tom and I served on the Thurman Munson Hall of Fame committee uh, that we're still on and uh, with, with a few other people and we believe that um, our efforts and the efforts of the other people on the on the board uh, served to help get Thurman onto the ballot uh, for the first time in you know over 15 years when he was uh, eligible. So um, absolutely, this book has uh, a lot of meaning uh, in the Hall of Fame drive for Thurman Munson. Now, how is that drive going, Gary? Uh, Gary Kaschek with us, by the way, tonight, and he is the co-author of Go the Distance, uh, a great new book. Tell us a little bit about the effort, uh, how, how it's proceeding, Gary. Well, the difficulty in breaking through to those in the know 
uh, in baseball, uh, the, the Veterans Committee, for example. Tough. Uh, that, that's the big issue. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that um, the Veterans Committee has a scouting party um, called the uh, Historical Overview Committee that does the research uh, and presents the the Veterans Committee with a list of names that then they, they then vote for. So trying to reach the people on either committee uh, is very difficult, uh, especially since they really don't announce who are on these committees until uh, almost it's too late. So uh, all the research and all the interviews and all the uh, everything else that goes into this, it really it's difficult to present that to a group that you don't even know who they are. Yet we were able to do that um, this last time. We broke through to a few people and got it in there. Um, but that's just how baseball is. They're very, very tight with 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 all this. Uh, I had been on another committee in the past and had been told that uh, don't even bother. They don't they don't even look at this stuff. Uh, they have our, they've they've done their own research. They don't need any influence from outsiders. So baseball is uh, it, it's tough to to get through to these people, but we're going to keep trying. Admirable, very admirable, Gary. Now, uh, I can understand it's very difficult. It's difficult to get into Cooperstown. I mean, look, look at the, uh, I was a big proponent of Gil Hodges being elected. And uh, look, look at the journey he took from, from passing away back in 1972 to being elected in 2022. Uh, just amazing. I'm just happy that Joan Hodges was able to see her husband uh, finally reach the pinnacle of success in Major League Baseball. But I can see uh, exactly your point, uh, what you're talking about, trying to get through to these people. It, it, it It's a very uh, closed and tight-knit fraternity. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I also um, am thrilled for Gil Hodges. Uh, you know, gosh, the guy had... 100 RBIs for, I think, seven years in a row. Right. How could they keep him out for so long? Uh, and, and there's so other, there's so many other, uh, names that belong that were ever so close and then fell back again, like Dick Allen. Uh, then you look back at Ron Santo and he got in, you know, after he passed away. Um, baseball just kind of drags its feet uh, with these great players. I think the the fact that a player has passed away uh, sort of uh, puts them on the back burner, uh, gets them out of people's minds. Um, th- th- that's just my opinion, but uh, th- that's a mm-hmm. discussion for another day. I, I want to read a, a review that I read uh, from Amazon, Gary, about Go the Distance. It says it's a must-read for any sports fan. It reminds us how important sports are to the fabric of our society. They give us a release from the ordinary and the mundane. They help us grieve and mourn. And most importantly, they help us heal and bring us together. And the the book also reminds us that it's never too late to follow your dreams. Listen to that inner voice prodding you forward. Put yourself out there and go the distance. Uh, What a a great piece of writing that was. Oh, absolutely. And if you get into this book, and we're hoping people do buy it, um, it, there are so many uh, stories uh, that weave in and out of uh, exactly what this uh, reviewer has has written about. So uh, there's plenty of tragedy and triumph and uh, heartache and 
not being uh, not being influenced by what the world tells you to do, but to just go for it. Um, it really is one of these um, stories that will have you standing up and cheering when it's over. At least that's how I feel about it. Of course. And uh, you, you mentioned to me a while back, Gary, that, that you had done a signing at, at, at Belmore, of course, where everything else in the world takes place. <laughs> In, in Belmore, and are there any other events uh, upcoming for Go the Distance? No, we had three uh, three in a row. We had Kansas, okay. Ohio. Uh, we had Bath, New York, where Tom uh, Tom lives currently with his wife uh, Suzette. Uh, and then uh, the week after that, we were in Belmore. Uh, and I might add that a lot of Tom, Tom played um, semi-pro baseball, and many of his teammates, that Belmore Angels uh, team. Uh, attended that, uh, nice. and they, they threw him a nice party. It was just a great day. Um, but there's nothing planned uh, that we have uh, in the near future, but we're probably going to do something. Outstanding. And, of course, uh, tell the folks where they can get this book, Gary. Well, any anybody can go on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the best place to, to, to go for it. Um, if you go to your bookstore, you can ask for it, um, but that's uh, probably a little bit more time-consuming than going on Amazon. So uh, it's probably the, the Amazon Goodreads, any of those that, that you see online. Right, and it'll be at their door in a few days. Uh, that, that's a great uh, place to order a book from. Now, while I have you, Gary, I want to talk to you about the Cleon book. As I mentioned to you, I did get my book signed at City Field by Cleon Jones, who was just wonderful with the fans. Give us a little uh, insight into what it took to just pull that book together, because I know Cleon and his wife, Angela, great people, but kind of very private people. How was the book able to take off like that? Well, I, I can tell you a little bit about how, how it developed for us, um, and it's kind of a two-part story. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was named the... Um, editor for the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame's newsletter. Mm-hmm. And one of the first um, interviews I was given was uh, Cleon Jones. And uh, to me, that was uh, that was huge because years earlier, um, I was watching the news with my wife, and there's Cleon Jones coming out on this little four-seat boat in Mobile Bay, where he lives in Africatown, Alabama, uh, they had just discovered the Clotilda, which was the last slave ship uh, during the Civil War, and somehow Cleon Jones was involved in this. And it really struck home to me because I had written another book years earlier called Lifestone, which featured the Clotilda. Um, and I remember at the time watching the news saying to my wife, I wish I could talk to Cleon Jones about this one day, but i probably never get a chance. Mm-hmm. And now you fast forward, I'm given the opportunity to interview him for the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame. I call him up, I tell him the story, and we hit it off. Nice. <laughs> great story. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean uh, what, what a great guy, what a storied career. And uh, just you did a great job on the book, and uh, I appreciate you, you getting the word out there about Cleon. I mean, he, he was one of the kings of, of uh, old-timers weekend uh, in New York. Uh, he was just great. He was, as I said, great with the fans, and you did a great job on the book. Thank you so much. And I can tell you, he made it easy. Um, 
he just has a memory, um, like a lot of these old baseball players do, of things that happen in a particular inning of a, a particular game. They just have this great, great recall. Uh, he made it really easy for me, and um, it, it was a really fun time uh, talking with him once a week uh, on Mondays for an hour and a half. And putting this thing together so thank you for, for that Bill. i appreciate it we have go the distance we have coming home anything else on the burner gary that we should look forward well to? i i'm just uh i just finished up my last interview with uh ed cranepool nice there you go uh, okay yep i'm uh working on his book now that's uh that'll be out next year i'm not sure what month but probably close to a year from now uh another great fun person to talk with uh their memories are just incredible. The, the s- stories that they're telling that no one's heard before, um, just uh, a lot of fun to do uh, two Mets back-to-back like this. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a guy with another storied career, Gary, uh, who goes all the way back to James Monroe High School where he, he broke the records of Hank Greenberg. And uh, talking about Casey Stengel, he was an 18-year-old, 17-year-old kid in the dugout at the polo grounds with the old professor. I mean, uh, we're really looking forward to that book, uh, Tremendous Stories from Eddie Cranepool. Well, there's several Casey stories um, <laughs> that, that he's told. and Some of them are known, uh, but some of them are not. Uh, he told me a couple uh, just this past week that were just hilarious. So, you know, that will all be part of the book. And um, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting this thing compiled and put in uh, to the editors and the publisher and the See how it goes uh, along the Cleon Jones book. Nice. Well, we'll look forward to that. Gary Kaschek, thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us out here on the island. The book, again, is called Going the Distance, the inspirational story of Tom Tunison, Thurman Munson, and a lifelong quest for baseball immortality. Check that one out, folks. Also, Coming Home, Cleon Jones story written by Gary as well. Two great books for your library, and uh, you, I can promise you, you will enjoy them both. Thanks again, Gary. That's Gary Kaschek, folks. Thank you, Bill. Good night now. Good night. Now, up next on Sports Talk New York, we'll welcome in another baseball legend and an entrepreneur, Ali Cepeda. Stick around, folks. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with Sports Talk New York here on WGBB in beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island, New York. I hope everyone is having just a marvelous weekend here on the island. Uh, Jets lose, of course, which is expected these days. Uh, the Mets win, and of course the Braves, who never lose, win. And uh, I checked the standings, two-game lead in the National League East for the New York Mets. Uh, Albert Pujols reaches 700. Just some great happenings in Major League Baseball these days. Well, let's get to our next guest. He started playing baseball at the young age of three. 
having a Hall of Fame father and three brothers that all played professionally, the game was a religion in his household. He was drafted by the Texas Rangers, but ended up signing with the Giants in 1996. After playing in the minors for four years with the Giants, he played internationally for four more years before starting Cepeda Baseball Academy. After his playing days were over, he began pursuing a career giving back to the game he loves. Baseball is the reason why I was put on earth. I love going to the field every day and sharing my knowledge and passion for the game with our future. It's great to welcome to the show tonight, Ali Cepeda. Ali, good evening. Uh, good evening, Bill. Good evening. Well said. It's Got nice nice to have you with us, Ali, finally. it's It's been a long time coming, and it's a pleasure to have you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, and I, um, I've i been looking forward to this day to get on the phone here with you, and um just looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. Well, I w- wanted to tell people about the website first off and let them know about the upcoming events in the Dominican Republic. Well, what we're doing on Dominican, we started on 2012, actually, on my homeland of Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, in 2012, my father and I were actually just sitting around, and we're actually heading out to Puerto Rico for the winter, as we usually do back then. Um, and we were just talking about my baseball program and what I was getting off the ground back then. And um, he just made it. He said, hey, why don't we get some boys, you know, back then I only had about a couple teams going and, and was doing some stuff locally baseball-wise. Why don't we bring some of your players and a couple of players here and there to Puerto Rico to show them how the baseball played on the island. Mm-hmm. As you said earlier, you know, um, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Obviously, my father being Orlando Cepeda, one of the best players to come out of Puerto Rico. And, um, you know, why don't we bring him out there and show him how the island the baseball is played out there. So um, we got to thinking, and we said, you know what, it's a great idea. Let's uh, let's put this together. Let's get this going and see how it works out. And um, we went out and started hosting tryouts locally back then and, um, you know, looking for players. We ended up around 25, 30 players, um, different age groups, 10 years old, 12 years old, 13 years old around there, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I asked them if they'd like to come to Puerto Rico to come play. Um, you know, I said, hey, we're going to put the package together. All you got to do is uh, kind of make the team. You know, we wanted to – we didn't want to just take any kind of player either. We didn't want to just uh, – you know, we wanted to kind of have, you know, higher-caliber players involved. Um, we're actually working on putting on a tournament for – any kind of quality players. But at that age, he said, well, if we want to bring the players out, we want to bring guys that are actually good, because everybody knows baseball's played at a high level on the Puerto Rico, Dominican Islands. So um, make a long story short, we got everything going. We got the players out there, and we had a great tournament. We had a long-week tournament. We played in different age groups against Puerto Rico, and um, and that's how it all started, you know, Um so we, we had the players, we had them out there for a week long, had a tournament, did the whole thing, and it went great. Uh, that was 2012. Now we are going into our ninth year this next year. Obviously, we had to miss a year because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're in our ninth year moving forward, and every summer we head out to my islands. The only different thing is now, now we're in Dominican Republic. Now we've moved out from Puerto Rico. We had the tournament there three years. 
and now we moved on forward to Dominican Island. We've been in Dominican Republic for the past five years now, moving on next summer. And, um, you know, you can, uh, I can tell you a lot more about the post, about the, the website and stuff as we move longer in the interview. But we are next summer in July, we're going to be in Dominican Republic hosting our ninth annual. Nice. So you guys are, are moving along quite well. What's a day like for, for these kids, uh, Ali? What, what do they do uh, in a typical day? Well, they wake up in the morning. It's the, the tournament form basis. So you, the, you, we usually get there. I can tell you last year. Last year we get there on the 20th. It's a 10-day trip. A 10-day trip. You get there on the first day. You arrive. You register. Um, you know, you get acquainted with all the other travelers. Um, the next day you wake up, uh, we have uh, baseball practice with each team. Now we're up to, we've actually went up and down. We've actually had from first year, I believe, was 10U to 13U. Then we had for the past, like, four or five years, we had 10-year-olds through 18-year-olds. And now we've dropped it back down to 10-year-olds through 15-year-olds. So a typical mm-hmm. day is they wake up, uh they, like I said, they arrived. The next day, we had baseball practice. And again, now that we're in our ninth, we're actually hosting tryouts in different locations. We actually go to different states. We actually go to different cities. We have staff members that travel to different locations and host tryouts. And every, from maybe the third annual till now, we've averaged about eight to ten different states. About nice. a player or two represented from eight or nine different states. So we have two days of just full practice. So these guys get acquainted with each other, and the coaches get acquainted with their players. And then past those practices, we uh, play baseball. We play we play a tournament form. You know, first day you play two pool play games. The next day you might have one, and the next day you might have two. So you have five games guaranteed. After those pool play games, you go to the standings, see who's seated number one, who's seated totally in tournament form. And then you play for, you know, the, the bragging rights, as they say. But it's, it's, you know, this tournament is involved. It's so much more than baseball. There's so much more involved. There's the culture part of it that's involved. Uh, players from the United States go to Dominican Republic and see what these kids and the conditions these kids play baseball in, and they're in awe. You know, it's, it's so much more than just baseball. You know, these kids are, are shocked um, how, how Dominican is very, it's a third world country, it's stricken poverty, it's very poor. These kids will have maybe one, maybe two bats that they play baseball. The whole team will have maybe two bats that they all share. Yeah. Not including that, Bill. They'll have maybe two helmets, three helmets. It's a, a, a sport that is demanding at least four helmets. So if you get, a, you know, Grant, you get in a base loaded jam. We've done in situations that a team only has two or three helmets. So you get, in a, you get in a base loaded jam. You got a kid on second that's furthest away from the batters, the batters to not have a helmet on. Right. You know. So we've actually uh, attacked that form, and we started asking people to bring donations. Uh, to bring out donations for the tournament. And um, so now we have everybody that's involved, all the players, and once you make the team or once you're selected to go or once you accept it, um, we ask you if you have any, you know, old bats, old helmets, anything laying around the house, you know, that a lot of people just want to get rid of. We say, hey, give it to us, give it to us, donate it to the, to the tournament. We highly appreciate it. 
Last year we went down there with 10 extra large bins. Probably you can probably put about 30 pounds of each one and of donations. We had uh, one of the coaches, because we bring coaches out as well in the United States, and I've had the same coach for a number of years, but one of them works for United. So United actually helped us in waiving all the fees for any luggage that's a donation. So we were able to get these donations out there free of, free of charge. Thank you to United Airlines. Um, and um, we, we started donating it back to them. So after the tournament, <laughs> we said, you know what, we're not going to put a brand new bat and a brand new all this stuff in these guys' hands. They'll kick your butt with it, you know. <laughs> so uh, let's wait till after the tournament. But after the tournament, we have closing ceremonies, and we passed out one or two bids each team. So it's evolved into so much more than baseball. It it sounds it, Ali. Ali Cepeda with us tonight on the program. Uh, and you mentioned to me uh, in the Dominican Republic, you have uh, Fernando Tatis, Nelson Cruz, Robbie Cano, just a few guys to come out of the uh, legendary town of San Pedro de Macaris. Uh, who's going to be the next guy, right? That, that's what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's great talent out there. I mean, um Thank you for bringing that up, and that's part of, you know, uh, this year, for the first time, we're putting on what we're calling the Cepeda Winter Sessions. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're taking, we're only accepting 30, 30 players, high school players, and, and, the, and the, during the break, during the Christmas winter break, the dates are going to be from December 27th through January the 3rd. And we're bringing guys out there to train, guys that are in high school, guys that are, are, are want to get drafted out of high school, guys that are, are really working their butts off, have a great work ethic, and want to train with the big boys. So we're taking them out there, and our nighttime activity, we're going to take them to Dominican Republic, the town of San Pedro de Macorís, and we're going to take them to winter ball games. Uh, these winter ball games are huge. You have, you know, full packed house every night. And these are these are the towns that Fernando Tatis, Nelson Cruz, Cano, um, you know Ramirez. Uh, I mean, Puerto Rican guys go out there and play. These are the towns that they come out of. You know, um, these are the towns that come. And these are the towns, the teams that they play with. So we're going to take, and that's going to be our nighttime activities every single night where we're there. We're going to take these kids and watch at in-home stands, and that's what these guys played at, and that's what we're hoping to experience to catch the next big star out of there. Exactly, and that, that's the goal for for uh, Ali to to uh, uncover this talent down there. That's for sure. Now, yes, where sir. where can people learn more, and where can folks in the states here get all the dates and deadlines for to sign up and for tryouts, etc. Ali, right. So uh, we have the, uh, the our website, which is CaribbeanClassic.org. Okay. Um, so some of the folks that are driving, um, I think, uh, you know, if you put on, if you put in Ali Cepeda or Orlando Cepeda or Cepeda Baseball or we hashtag a lot Cepeda Classic, Cepeda with a C, how it sounds, Cepeda, you can, you can go on there and your approved locate you and throw you, and, you know, bring you back around to the CaribbeanClassic.org which is our website, and it has all the information on there, all their events they're putting on together. We're also doing other events in, on the island and going back to Puerto Rico. So you can find all the events on that website and give you all the information. And if it's something that you're interested in, 
then you can uh, contact us, and there'll be drop downs on there that'll lead you to an email, which is info at Cepeda Baseball. That'll info and that'll get you back into our inbox. Outstanding. Sounds good, Ali. Now, I want to ask yes, you before sir. we go, how's Dad doing? Dad's doing great. You know, he, he just turned big 85. Wow. And, <laughs> um, you know, we had a big gig with him at, at the park. And, you know, the Giants are a first-class act, how they treat their ball players, uh, current or ex. They, they gave us the biggest, you know, the biggest room, uh, the biggest suite in the house for him. And they treated us well. And he's doing great, you know. As well as any five man can be doing these days, you know. He, he really takes care of himself, and we're fighting every day to keep him ahead of, ahead of clock. Outstanding. That's good. Any, anything else you want to tell the folks before we split? No, no, just, uh, you know, just please, something that you're interested in, um, contact us. I'm sure that if you, if you guys have a website on the radio, maybe they can contact you guys then and get all the information to lead you, uh, sure. to us and to, uh, CaribbeanClassic.org, um, or you can put it, like I mentioned, Ali or Orlando Cepeda, and, um, I'll lead you to that. And again, I really appreciate for you guys having us on. You know, we make a post. We're actually 288 days away from the ninth annual Caribbean Classic today. Um, so it's something that we take a lot of pride in putting together and we're hoping to move forward. And, and, you know, we're looking for indoor facility, maybe something in New York. We actually went to New York about a couple of years ago. We had facilities down in the Brooklyn area. Um, that we had a, a couple of tryouts down there. So um, nice. you know, we're looking to, to spread this out as much as we can. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Wonderful. Ali Cepeda, I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday evening to spend it with us up here in New York. I wish you the best with the Caribbean Classic. Anytime you want to come back and tell us some more, give us an update, you're welcome to. I thank you, Ali. All right. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you to everyone. That's Ali Cepeda, folks. Well, we had a great show tonight. We had three guests for you. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, our authors on autograph collecting on Thurman Munson for the Hall of Fame and, of course, the great Ali Cepeda with his Caribbean classic. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, folks. That will just about do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. My wonderful guests and you and our engineer, Brian Graves, for taking care of business tonight. Uh, appreciate you joining us. See you next on October 9th. We'll have some more great guests for you and Sports Talk. Please keep an eye out on social media for who we're going to have with us. Till then, folks, till the 9th, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.